Hello? Are we on? Uh, the children and those of you that have to get ready for the Super Bowl game are all dismissed right now. Half kidding. You can figure out which half of that is kidding. Um, <laughs> hey, Paul only mentioned sports twice in, in the whole New Testament, and it was really about spirituality. Huh? 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 Uh, uh, <laughs> but they were sacrificed. <laughs> Let's just make this Q&A today, shall we? It's like in the synagogue. <laughs> Having Mike here is one of the highlights of my entire ministry, I tell you. Okay. If you couldn't hear what Mike was saying, you missed it. You should. That's why you should be here. Okay. Okay. Uh, we are going to continue on in our series called Joy, which is through the book of Philippians. And um, we're looking at the theme of having joy, having spiritual joy uh, that transcends the world, kind of what David Yee was talking about in his prayer. And throughout the book of uh, Philippians, which we will be in for several months, uh, Paul talks about several themes that we can have spiritual joy from. Uh, the theme of having the gospel advance in our lives and seeing the gospel advance and finding joy through that, finding joy in seeing the unity of the church, finding joy in um, being in fellowship and in partnership with others uh, in ministry, finding joy in uh, seeing the church stay away from false teachers. There's a lot of aspects of joy in Philippians that we're going to be looking at over the next several months. And today uh, today and next week, we're going to be looking at the topic of finding joy in seeing the gospel advance. Finding joy in seeing the gospel advance. And when it does, you're going to make friends, you're going to make frenemies, and you're going to make foes. That when the gospel advances, you're going to make friends, you're going to make frenemies, and you're going to make foes. But we are to find joy in each one of those circumstances. And so, uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 18. Sorry, is that me, the static? I don't know if that's me or not. Um, so let's stand now for the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 18. Paul says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ and most of the brothers, having been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Father, I pray that uh, we would rejoice as Paul did, 
and knowing that our lives are about what matters in a world that advances their own message upon us, Lord. May we be steadfast in advancing the gospel, understanding that we will take great joy in the friends we make, in the frenemies that advance the message, and even in the foes that uh, will oppose what you want done. And so let nothing uh, rob us of our joy, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me have a seat. I think, sorry, this is a technical thing. I think it's one of my shirts. It's everyone. Okay. Turn it off. It's on now. Hello? Hello? All right. Are we on? Okay, I think we're back on. We're on. Great. So we're talking about advance, having joy in advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ and the types of relationships that we find and how to have joy in each friend, frenemy, or foe. That's going to be this week and next week. Today we're going to focus on um, having joy as the gospel advances as we make friends and frenemies. That's going to be our focus today. We live in a world where there is a worldly gospel that is advancing upon us. The world advances its own gospel upon you. The world advances its own message upon you. You have to realize that every one of us is an evangelist. Every one of us is either evangelizing or being evangelized. This is the world we live in. There's no neutral. We're sending a message. There's a message that's being put upon us. We're evangelists. There's evangelists or we're being evangelized. We live in a time where in our world, there is a worldly gospel that is advancing upon us. The woke social justice movement is advancing a message upon your life. The vax or anti-vaxers are advancing a message on your life. The metaverse NFT conversation is advancing a conversation and a message upon your life. The crypto conversation is advancing a message upon your life. The World Economic Forum uh, is certainly advancing a message on your life. Their theme in 2020 was the Great Reset. Theme of 2021 is the Great Narrative around the world. Tesla is advancing a message upon your life in terms of the environment. The food movement is advancing a message upon your life in terms of your health, your emotional, your spiritual state, and how it can be addressed through what you eat and put in your mouth. Everyone is advancing a message upon your life. Everyone is evangelizing you to something. The streaming services are advancing a message on your life to binge whatever show that might be. And as the world advances these messages upon our lives, it's very clear in its distinction. You're either with that message or you're not that the world is giving to you. You're a friend or you're a foe. It's if you're part of this message, whenever the world is advancing upon you, then you're, you're part of the revolution that's happening, that the world envisions for this world. If you're not part of that message that the world is advancing upon you, then you are gaslighted, you are canceled, and at minimum, you're made into a funny meme. 
meme. Uh, the world is advancing a message upon you. And for Christians, we have to ask ourselves this morning, what message is being advanced through our lives? What message is being advanced through our lives? When you choose to be a Christian, when you choose to advance the gospel through your life in a world that's advancing multiple secular false messages, or at least uh, meaningless or temporal messages upon your life, there's going to be fro- f- friends, frenemies, and foes that are made. It's no different in the Bible. When Jesus advanced the gospel, he made friends, Peter, James, John. Some of them turned into frenemies when they left him at the cross. But he also made foes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the crowd that turned on him. That's what happened to Jesus when he advanced the message in the world. Paul, the same. When he advanced the message of the gospel, he made friends. Luke, Silas, Timothy, Titus, Barnabas, Mark. Some of them turned out to be frenemies at times when they left him, came back. But Paul also made foes. Hymenaeus, Philetius, Alexander, the metal worker, were all foes, false brethren. And so today... What we want to do is we want to recognize that the world is advancing its own secular gospel upon us. And we want to not have our joy stolen as we advance the gospel message and realize that uh, we will be surrounded by all different types as we do that. So in our passage today, this is what is happening. In Philippians chapter 1, let's go through this. In verse 12, Paul says this, I want you to know brothers. Let's stop there. Paul was good friends with the Philippian church. Um, Ten years earlier, ten years before he wrote this epistle to the Philippians, ten years earlier, Paul was on his second missionary journey recorded in Acts chapter 16, 17, and 18. And um, Paul planted this church. He led Lydia and some women by a stream to Christ. They stayed at her house. It was a base of ministry operations. It's all recorded in Acts 16. And then they started leading people to Christ. And so Paul had a great affection for the Philippian church. If you look back at verses 3 through 8 in chapter 1, uh, throughout verses 3 through 8, you see Paul's affection. So when he says in verse 12, I want you to know brothers, there's a, there's a real sense of caring for this church. He says in verse 3 through 8, he thanked God for the Philippian church, that he prayed for them with joy, that he held them in his heart, that he yearned for them with the affection of Christ. And so when Paul says in verse 12, I want you to know brothers, these are dear Christians to Paul. They're people that he knew and cared about and he commended. And he says in verse 12, again, what, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what has happened to me, what, did, what happened to Paul at this point? Um, when he says what happened to me, The Philippians would have known what happened to Paul. They would have seen in Acts 16 that Paul was beaten. Paul and Silas put into a prison 
in Philippi. They would have known that. They would have seen that, would have been praying for him. They would have seen his miraculous release. That's what happened to Paul. Perhaps they would have known that uh, Paul was imprisoned after he left Philippi sometime later at Caesarea. And that's recorded in Acts 24, that Paul was in prison for two years. Perhaps that's what he was referring to when he says, what happened to me? He's saying what happened to me specifically uh, presently is he's writing from a Roman cell described in Acts 28. This is Paul's first Roman imprisonment. And Paul, as he's writing from this Roman cell, he says, this is what's happened to me. He's chained to a Roman guard. Uh, the chains in those days when you were under house arrest was maybe about a foot and a half long. And he's doing that for two years. There's a rotation of Roman guards that are chained to Paul for two years, a foot and a half long chain as he's under house arrest. Imagine having someone with you all the time for two years, no longer than, no longer than a foot and a half away. This is what happened to Paul. Perhaps he's thinking about all of the beatings, all of the shipwrecks, all of the encounters with false brethren that's recorded in 2 Corinthians. So Paul went through a lot, and that is what was happening to him. But he says, all of this, all of this has served to advance the gospel. End of verse 12. All of it has served the advancement of the gospel. I love that. I I think that if I was to speak to you pastorally in this moment, I think as a teacher, I would say, well, therefore, be like Paul. You get beaten, you get imprisoned, you go through extreme trials, testing, temptations. Just see it as an advancement of the gospel as you hold yourself with integrity and matter worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think we all want to strive to be like Paul in those moments. Um, but I think that a lot of us, we don't look at it that way. We kind of look at Paul that way, but we don't look at it that way too often. I think a lot of us, we look at this and say, that's great for Paul, but what about me, pastor? When I go through my difficulties, um, it'd be wonderful to think that the gospel could advance through that, but I'm really just trying to survive. I'm just trying to get back to neutral ground. And I think the way we look at Paul in this moment when he says, all that has happened to me, verse 12, has meant to serve the advancement of the gospel. We want to look at it realistically and say, you know what? I know that uh, I don't rise above all of my trials, testings, and temptations in the way that I always should. I know that. And I also know that the world's messages that are advancing upon me um, often have more of an influence on my life than they should. Certainly more than they had on the life of Paul. But I think what we should look at this and say, even though I know this about myself, even though I know that the world advances its message and I become its evangelist at the time, even though I know that all that has happened to me, I don't always look at it as for ways that it can advance the gospel. What I want to do is recognizing that about myself. I want to commit myself that my life is more about advancing the gospel 
than it is having the world beat me down. My life is more about seeing whatever happens to me, I want God to use it to advance the gospel, than it is about me advancing a secular gospel of the world. Is your life more about advancing the gospel than it is being beaten down by the world or becoming an evangelist for the world's gospel? And I think as we work our way towards that, we then work our way towards Paul as an ideal. But this is what a soul that is fully surrendered unto the Lord looks like. It's amazing in verse 12. I, I'm so convicted when I see this, how much Paul suffered, how much, um, how much disappointment he encouraged and he encountered in ministry, how many people left him in ministry. And yet he turned to the Philippian church and he said, everything that's happened, it's been seen to advance the gospel. In verse 13, he says that what's happened to him has become known throughout the entire imperial guard and to the rest of the, and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. When it says the imperial guard in verse 13, um, that, that was a term for, uh, uh, a battalion, or I don't even know the military word. It, it, it's a select group of Roman soldiers that Augustus Caesar started or around, uh, you know, the time when Jesus was born, maybe a little bit before that. And there was about 10,000 troops. Later, Caesars increased that number of 10,000 higher. And these select imperial guard troops were scattered throughout Rome, primarily to protect Caesar. But they were like the elite troops. Okay, I think we're going to switch here. All right. Oh, much better. Much better. Should we start over? All right. And so uh, when Paul had these elite troops coming through, the um, you can imagine how many troops over a period of two years were actually chained to Paul and how often that was switching. And so, you know, they would obviously have discussions with Paul he would convert them. They would go out and speak to other troops, and then that would spread the kingdom of God. This is what Paul did. This is what Paul did. He said in verse 14 uh, that because of this, most of the brothers, other believers, have become confident in the Lord by his, imprison his imprisonment. And are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Two things came out of Paul using his difficult circumstance to advance the gospel. Number one, in verse 14, other believers became more confident in their own faith. And number two, they became more bold to speak the word of God. Paul's imprisonment was a witness. It was a witness. And he found a way, whether it was to write uh, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. He wrote all four of those epistles. They're called the prison epistles. He wrote that during this two-year Roman occupation, or Roman imprisonment, rather. 
And so Paul used that setback to write these epistles. Paul used this setback and this imprisonment to lead the guards to Christ. And then they shared the gospel throughout Rome. Paul used this imprisonment for those ends to advance the gospel. And through that, other believers who heard of him were encouraged in their faith and they were emboldened to speak about their faith. What is imprisoning you right now to stop the gospel from advancing in your life? What is your prison? Uh, when you're part of a church, when you proclaim the name of Christ, when you decide to unashamedly say that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what happens is that you are now under attack. You have declared war against the world. You have declared war against Satan. You have declared war against your flesh. And you are now in a war. And the world, the flesh, and the devil want you to stay. They want to imprison you. I wonder how many of our hardships, certainly some of our hardships and some of our uh, situations that we find ourselves in life come because we've reaped what we've sowed to our flesh. That's definitely part of it. I think part of it is that we get disciplined by the Lord. That happens. That said, a lot of what happens in our life that are hardship, that are difficulties, that are trials, are not just the result of our uh, the Lord disciplining us or we're reaping what we're sowing, but is also because there are dark spiritual forces in our flesh, the world, and the devil wanting to imprison us. What is imprisoning you spiritually? The moment you choose to be part of a church, the moment you choose to call yourself a Christian, there are forces at work in the spiritual world, in the principalities and powers, the rulers of this dark kingdom, Ephesians 6, that are out to imprison you, imprison your mind, imprison your body, imprison your soul, to keep you beaten down, to keep you conforming to the world, to keep you in a mindset that my whole Christian journey is simply a matter of can I survive from day to day? And Paul understood this. You know, David prayed, you know, Christ understood all of our weaknesses. I, I think Paul understood a lot of ours too. And yet we have this man giving us this example. And when he was imprisoned, he took that opportunity to pivot and to ask himself, all right, I don't have my freedom to walk around as I did, you know, in, in Caesarea, I was in jail for two years and now I'm in, in this Roman uh, house arrest for what would be about two years. I can't just go out wherever I want and plant churches, but how am I going to pivot to use this time redemptively for the kingdom? By the way, when you're a Christian, that's very important because life is full of setbacks. And really one of the most mature things you can do as a Christian, one of the most important things you can do for your Christian maturity is learn how to pivot when your dreams collapse, not to just find more dreams in the world, but to pivot towards God. And one of the things I, ha I think happens too often with Christians in the church is 
they have this idea of what their Christian life will look like. They have this idea of what their Christian ministry will look like. And then something happens that stops that and they don't pivot. They don't pivot to find another way to advance the gospel. And so they get stuck holding on to this past vision of what their life should have been like, stuck holding on to what their ministry could have been. And that's exactly the prison that the enemy wants you in. And Paul was too smart for that. He made a pivot and he said, no, okay, well, I'm here for two years. I'm going to write Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon while I'm here. I'm going to lead these prisoners to Christ and whoever else comes and visits me. And so he took joy from that. Follow me on this, you guys. One of the reasons why Paul had joy in ministry was because when he faced a setback, he did not just say, my life cannot continue until this setback gets me back to where I was. Paul didn't say that. He didn't look at the advancement of what God wanted to do in his life as being hostage to him returning to the circumstance that he had before he was imprisoned. Instead, what Paul did was he said, all right, this is the new reality. I got to suck it up. This is how it is. But there is a new window, a new opportunity that God wants to redirect me towards. And in that, I will find spiritual joy. What is imprisoning you and how does God want you to pivot? If you're there. You know, it wasn't just Paul. Uh, one of the uh, stories that our family has read over the, over the pandemic is um, a shortened version of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And what I didn't know about John Bunyan was, you know, he was evangelizing people. And then he was thrown into prison for doing that. And it was when he was in prison that he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And up until, I don't know, 1600s, uh, maybe no, I'm maybe a, little, a little bit later, up, up until about 1800s, somewhere around there, um, Pilgrim's Progress was the second most read book in all of England after the Bible. And John Bunyan made this pivot when he was in prison. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and here we are. What is your prison? And how does the Lord want you to pivot through that? I think it becomes very despairing when the enemy has us in a prison and we don't pivot, and that's where the despair comes. You can make it in your prison for two years as long as you know that there's something redemptive happening amidst your prison. Uh, this past two years of the pandemic, like you and like me, we've been sitting here making all these adjustments, bemoaning the fact of what has happened to our world, people dying, who can we trust, who's telling the truth, who's not all the division that this has brought into the world, even the church. I mean, we go on and on about that, right? And then for so long, most of the entire world was under this self-imprisonment or government-imposed imprisonment, however you want to look at that one. And how did we use that in our own imprisonment redemptively for the gospel during that time? 
Yes, we complained. Yes, we bemoaned what society had become. Yes, we wanted it to return to how it was at the beginning of 2020. But that wasn't our reality. This was our own imprisonment. And how did we use that time to advance the gospel? See, I think some of the most joyful Christians came out of the time over the past two years when they were under their own imprisonment and they said, Lord, okay, I had no control over this. Here we are. How's the gospel going to advance? And that they could find a sense of peace and joy amidst that. I know that for myself, I used the past two years when I was just sitting there to finish my books. And that was one way that I tried to use the time redemptively to advance the gospel. I said, okay, well, I can't be out there in the street all the time. I'm here. So I'll use that redemptively to do my own writing. I'm not going to write an epistle like Paul. Not going to write a masterpiece like John Bunyan, but I can write my own books. Uh, we need to advance the gospel. I, I was at a funeral yesterday. I officiated a funeral yesterday morning. That's why I couldn't be at the, the retreat at Descanso Gardens. And um, a friend of mine had, uh, I hadn't seen him in 35 years since we were kids. And he called me up a couple months, you know, about a month ago. And he said, my dad died. I'm flying in from v- Virginia Beach. Can you officiate the funeral? And, you know, we were, fr- I think last, you know, we were friends as kindergartens. We were on the same uh, sports team in, in high school. And so I said, absolutely. I knew he was a non-believer. And so before the funeral, you know, we were talking about the details. We were on Zoom. And he said, hey, can you stick around uh, a few weeks ago? And we had an hour and a half long conversation on the Christian faith. He actually wanted me to meet up with his 14-year-old daughter who identifies as a boy uh, after the funeral, but he said there wasn't time. But I did go up to them after the funeral. I said, anytime you want, I will make time to Zoom with you. You're, you know, you're living in Virginia Beach, across the country. I will make time for this. Um, and I saw her, I saw him as lost sheep. I was at the funeral and the man who passed away had gone to church uh, maybe about 30 years ago. So he had some exposure. How do you do a funeral for someone like that? And so we only had an hour. And, uh, you know, as funerals tend to do, everyone who goes up there shares longer than they originally said they would. And, you know, they cut you off after one hour, the funeral home. And so when I got up there, I literally had seven minutes to share. And so um, I said... You know, this person, this man, he lived a long life. He lived a fulfilled life. The question was, did he find eternal life? I don't know what happened in the quietness of his own heart before he passed away. None of us can know. But I can tell you this, that if he surrendered his heart to Jesus Christ, if he sought him out for forgiveness and new life, if he submitted to him as Lord, even as the thief did on the cross next to Jesus, then he found eternal life. But I also said, if he did not, like just all for the rest of us, then he did not find eternal life. He found God's judgment in all of eternity. And I said, we here who think about death right now, I've thought a lot about death. You guys know about that over the past few years with all the people I've lost, what happened with my health. I said, you need to think about what the Lord is saying to you about your own coming death. And have you found eternal life? I said that. That's all the time I had. 
And then someone came up to me and said, thank you, pastor, because I've been to a lot of funerals. This is some person, I didn't even know this person. They said, I've been to a lot of funerals and pastors don't always say things like that. And I said, I agree. I went to a funeral a month ago that was officiated by someone else and they had nothing to say about the gospel in their eulogy, even though they called themselves a Christian pastor. How are you advancing the gospel amidst your imprisonment? You know, we are leading this Explorers Bible study on Monday night. And if you're at Cerritos later today, I got a text from someone this week. And uh, what they told me is some of the people from the Explorers Bible study will be there this Sunday to come to church. It's maybe like their second or third time in church, period. And then the following week, the people who can't make it from the Bible, Explorers Bible study, they'll be there next week. And then I texted them, this person who's leading the Bible study with me, and I said, well, are they saying that they'll just come one week or do you think that they'll come on an ongoing basis? And they said, they want to come on an ongoing basis. And so we have set up in our church at Cerritos translation so someone can translate live into Mandarin as they're there. We need to work redemptively to advance the gospel amidst this time. Um, there's going to be opportunities for you as well. Uh, Lord of the Games, Earl and others are planning. This is an opportunity coming up next month where we're just throwing out to all of L.A. to come join us for these tournaments. Earl's going to be giving his testimony. We're going to be advancing the gospel that way. Uh, Lorraine mentioned last week that uh, we're waiting to hear back from all of Crest. And one of the things, a couple of things that are probably going to happen is we'll have a ministry to foster kids and foster teens at all of Crest in Orange County. We'll have opportunities to share the gospel that way. Another opportunity is in Cerritos. There is a high probability they're going to come back and give us an opportunity to adopt a low-income family that's a foster family in the Bellflower area. And so our church can kind of come around this family and perhaps lead them to Christ or bring them to church. These are opportunities amidst this COVID imprisonment that we're out coming out of to advance the gospel. Whether you're a part of something like those things I mentioned or something in your own life, you need to find ways, whether you're a student at your workplace, with your friends, your families, to just put yourself out there. What would your life and my life look like if we were fools for Christ? We play it too safe, to be honest. I'll just say it straight up. We play it too safe. We need to go out there and we need to be fools for Christ. Didn't Paul say that about himself? What would your life and my life look like if we said, forget it. I'm going to chuck it all. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to be a fool for Christ. I don't care what you think about my faith. I'm going to go forward with boldness. I'm going to speak with boldness. Verse 14. And who knows how your example could inspire other Christians. Isn't that what Paul's saying in verse 14? The brothers have become confident in the Lord. Who knows how your example could inspire others in the faith? Who knows who could become more bold to speak the word without fear based upon your example? God wants to use you in that way, Christian. Verse 15. Um, actually, just one more quick thing on that. I think that when I hear what's going on with David Yee's life, I think this could have easily become an imprisonment for him. 
And yet he's using it to say, what new work does God want to do? How do I pivot? I know of other people, part of our church, they have experienced their own imprisonment and it's brought them back to church. God wanted them to pivot. I know other people who have faced an imprisonment and they have done the opposite. They've run away from God. They've run away from church and they've let the imprisonment and the message of the world put them into a deeper dungeon. Which one will you be and which one will I be? Verse 15 through 18. And now, as Paul was talking about in verse 12 through 14, about the joy he has in the gospel and the friends that he made and the joy he got from that. Now in verse 15 through 18, he's talking about maintaining his joy among making frenemies. Making frenemies. He says in verse 15 and following, when he preached Christ, uh, some preach Christ, rather, from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Verse 16, the people who partnered with Paul, who were inspired by Paul, verse 14, and others, he says in verse 16, they advanced the gospel out of love, and they saw Paul, and they knew that he was in prison, not on justifiable grounds, but that he was in prison for his sharing of the gospel. They saw him sharing the gospel in the Roman imprisonment, They saw his steadfastness. They saw his joy. They were emboldened and they continued to preach the gospel out of verse 15, goodwill and out of love for him. He says, those people, verse 17, proclaim, um, rather the other people, the frenemies, there were people who proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, which means self-glorification, their own desire to glorify themselves. Uh, and they did it to afflict Paul. These are wicked people. These are wicked motives. Let me stop there. If you advance the gospel, if you allow God to advance the gospel through your life, you will make friends that will partner with you, that will bring you joy. You will make friends that God will use you to inspire, verse 12 through 14. But you will also make frenemies. And this is the ugly underbelly of what happens in the church. Frenemies. What are frenemies? Frenemies are people who, when Paul's saying this, he's not referring to false brothers. Okay, Frenemies are not false brothers. Frenemies are not those who bring forth another gospel or the Judaizers. These are false teachers. Paul's not talking about that at this point. Frenemies are other Christians who are generally, who are Christians, but when they see God doing a work in your life, when they see fruit coming from your ministry, they don't celebrate you. They don't celebrate the kingdom. Instead, they compete against you. Frenemies are people in the church who are real believers, but who actually find some joy when they see other believers who have 
had a more fruitful ministry than them, they find joy in seeing these people fall. Because then they can feel more elevated themselves. Don't think that this does not happen in the kingdom of God. I hate to tell you this, but I've been around long enough in pastoral ministry to know that there are really good pastors that I've been interacting with, like godly men that have influenced my life, godly men that I would only want to aspire to their example. Many men that uh, I've known in pastoral ministry that are like that. However, I have also met many other Christian leaders and pastors who are more frenemies. And people who are really out for selfish ambition, who are out for envy. I've had other leaders that I've served with before uh, sabotage a ministry that I've been part of. And they admitted to me like a year later. They said, you know what? I want to apologize to you. What I did, I did out of jealousy for your ministry. And they sabotaged an evangelistic ministry out of that. Now, you might look at me and say, well, you know, just, it's so, you should just commend them for saying that. And I think that there's something that's good about that. I commend that side of it. But to tell you the truth, that really angered me. That selfish ambition and envy would get to such a point where that would happen. Now, you have to be discerning on this. Okay, frenemies are people that are believers but don't have the best interests of the kingdom in mind. They have their own interests. It's not wrong in the kingdom of God to be ambitious. Follow me on this. God wants you to be ambitious for the things of God. What is wrong is to be selfishly ambitious. And there's a difference. You want to be ambitious for the things of God. I think more of us need to be ambitious. But we, but why are we being ambitious? Are we being it for our own selfishness in ministry? Our own glory? Are we being ambitious because we envy our neighbor and we want to look good compared to them? When I was in Long Beach and we first started our, our, planted our first church, we first went down there in the fall of 2004. Like we had six people and $8,000 meeting at a park in the rain. I mean, you want to talk about I don't know anyone that envied us about that, right? And um, I didn't know this at the time, but when we did that, uh, I actually met up with some other leaders in the city that had been there a lot longer than I had. Uh, and I didn't find this out till years later, but they told me two things. They said, uh, Long Beach is known as the graveyard of church plants. So many people, and I knew a lot of people who came and go, went. But they also told me this. They said, when we planted our church in uh, the end of 2004, our church was the beginning of a wave of about 50 church plants that came down to Long Beach over the next 10 years. We were the first one. And when I we came down there, I was saying to people, I was like, you know, we have got to be down here, you guys. This is where it's going to be at. We're going to have to learn what we need to learn. I was saying that like over 15 years ago to people. And a lot of what we learned there became the book that I wrote about the future of the American church. But one of the things that we did, and I made a commitment to when I went down there, is I said, you know what? This is this environment is post-Christian. It is postmodern. This is everything we learned about seminary live here. 
we have to stay and we have to learn from this. And what I said, I just made the decision. I said, my job here is not just to lead a church plant, but I said, my job here is to do my best to draw in other church planters into this city because I know that what we face cannot be done with just a few churches. And so anytime I met a church planter, I didn't even, I just, you know, if I just thought, okay, you're Christian and I generally think you're better for the city than worse, we may not agree on everything, but you know, I can give you a thumbs up rather than thumbs down. I'm going to be for you. And I would take them out on tours of the city. I would buy them these books on Long Beach. I would give them all the information I had that we had learned through blood, sweat, and tears over years of agonizing. I would just, here, here, this is everything we've learned. I want you to have it from the start. No one did that with me, but I want you to have it. And I'm still friends with a lot of these church planters because I did not look at them as a threat to my ministry. I did not look at them with envy. And some of their churches became bigger than mine. A lot of them did, but I can celebrate that. And this is, I am nowhere near who Paul was. But you know what? The longer you stick around Christendom, the unfortunate reality, the more you learn that not every Christian leader has a kingdom perspective. You can be discerning and say, that's not right. That's, I don't agree with that doctrine or that's a false brother versus not. That's different. I'm with that. But we need to have more of Paul's mindset. And he says this again in verse 18. What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. In that I rejoice. I don't like every Christian leader that I see. Even people that I know that are Christian, I'm like, ah, I don't agree with that, or I don't like this about them or that, you know. But if they're a true brother and they're preaching the true gospel, I need to celebrate that like Paul here, in, whether in pretense, which means the right motives or not, or in truth, that they're giving the right truth, that he, has, he rejoices that Christ is proclaimed. Do you rejoice that Christ is proclaimed? The reality is every single person who advances the gospel, God uses to do that. The every single church leader, in some way, we are all tainted by selfish ambition, envy, by pretense. Don't think that you're not. Sin has a way of distorting our motives. Every single pastor deals with that. And if they do, I've not met a pastor that has not been in some way tainted. And if pastors are like that, certainly you are as well. But what we need to do in closing is we need to be saying, you know what? Whatever my imprisonment is this morning, God wants me to recognize the urgency. He wants me to understand that the world is advancing its own gospel upon me. The world is wanting me to become its evangelist. And what I need to do is to pivot while I'm in the prison and say, God, how do I use this time in my own imprisonment for you to use me 
to advance the kingdom. It may look different than in the past. My life may look different in the past. Paul's sitting in a jail cell. Certainly his life looked different than in the past. But if you do, and you're open to that, God, how do you want to use me? This is a new circumstance. I didn't want to be here. I'm here. How do you want to use me? You will have spiritual joy. You will rejoice. You're going to make friends and you're going to make frenemies. But as long as the gospel is advanced and the truth is proclaimed, we celebrate that. So look for that, you guys. Don't look for the escape for your, from your own imprisonment solely from what you binge watch, what you're medicating, what you're meditating, what you're mitigating away for the problem. That's not it. Primarily, the message that God has for us today is look for the pivot, look for the way that God wants to advance his kingdom through your life, and you will have joy, and God will reveal that to you. Let's pray together. God, we are a people who are not meant to stay in the prison. This is a season. And yet you work in the prison. How is it that you want to work in our life? Lord, I pray you would reveal that. I pray that you would bring to us friend. That friends that we can encourage us. That we can encourage through our example. So that we may not look back on the time of our own imprisonment. And say that that was time wasted. It was unredeemed time. But rather we lived as those who are wise, redeeming the time. And in that, we will find joy. Pray that for our congregation, Lord. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.